So uh, what special days do you observe? Is there uh, certain days you look forward to in the year? Maybe it's a birthday or an anniversary, uh, holidays, you know, certain holidays that you look forward to. What special days do you observe? Uh, this past week we had a uh, government legislative special day, family day. Uh, it was last Monday. And uh, I know here in Okotoks uh, they encourage uh, families to kind of shut down the electronics, you know, turn off the devices, and, and just engage in the day together as a family and make it a family day. So enjoy the day off of work. It's a stacked holiday, and spend time with the people you love, you know, family or friends or whatever. So we decided to actually leave Okotoks and make a road trip uh, to an exotic location. Uh, we drove to Winnipeg, and uh, in the middle of February. Because we just thought that would be a fantastic trip to make. Why not go to Winnipeg? Uh, actually, we went to Winnipeg because of my two little nieces, a two-year-old and a newborn, uh, two little girls that uh, our girls were really wanting to go see. And so we went and spent some time with family uh, in Winnipeg. And did I say it was the middle of February? Kind of chilly. Uh, but anyways, uh, so Family Day also occurred in Winnipeg. And uh, Family Day in Winnipeg is a little different uh, because it's cold and stuff. But we decided to go to the Forks, which is one of uh, my favorite places to go when we're in Winnipeg. And the Forks is uh, just off of downtown, just off of the core of downtown Winnipeg where the rivers meet. And it's the Forks of the River. And, uh, and so they built up this little kind of marketplace area. They called it the Forks at Winnipeg. And there's like a little food court, like a mall food court in there, and little stores. And there's a museum and uh, some you know, cafe, coffee shop type of place. And so it's kind of like a, a hangout place in, uh, in Winnipeg. And so on family day, because it's cold, I mentioned that, um, they have lots of outdoor activity that involve you know, outdoor winter kind of activity. So there's skating paths all around the forks. You can actually skate like around the buildings because there's so much cold and ice and snow everywhere. Uh, but they've created this sort of skating laneway all around the forks and then down to the river and there's a whole skating you know, area that you can skate on and on the river and then they've plowed out a pathway so if you don't skate you can walk. And uh, so we actually took our two-year-old niece down there and walked down to the river and uh, just wanted to explore what was going on on Family Day in Winnipeg. And so we came across something really interesting I'd never seen before, uh, ice canoe racing. So, yeah, so just think of an actual canoe and actually like five canoes at once racing. Uh, so these canoes are full of men uh, who you can't actually paddle because the river's frozen because it's cold in February in Winnipeg. And uh, so these guys would get in their canoes and one leg in the canoe, one leg out, and they would run their canoes 200 meters against each other in this race. And so there's a, you know, crowds of people with cowbells and they're cheering and clapping and you know, this ice canoe racing, that was pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, so we took some pictures of that, and we took some pictures walking around the river, and then the one thing I was really looking forward to was playing a new sport that I've heard of called croca curl. Has anybody heard of croca curl? So it's kind of like a cross between curling and the, the board game crokinole. So if you think of crokinole with the little, um, what do you call it, little you know, things that you shoot into the middle, token or something that you would shoot into the middle, yeah. And so crokinole, you try to get as close to the middle as possible, and you play against somebody, and they're trying to fire you know, their uh, little tokens against yours, and whatever, most points wins. So take crokinole and put it on a sheet of ice outside the forks in Winnipeg when it's minus 20 degrees, 
and uh, they use curling stones instead of these little tokens, and so it's like a big size version of crokinole that's on the ice. So croca curl. So we played some croca curl, had fun doing that, and uh, just enjoyed family day in Winnipeg. Family day is uh, kind of a day of rest, right? It's, it's different. Uh, you get time off work, and the idea is that you get a day off to kind of do what you want, you know, recreation or whatever. So if you're in Winnipeg, you play croca curl. If you're in Okotoks, you go to the rec center and free swimming with the 10,000 other people that are in the pool with you. And uh, you know, whatever you want to do, that's part of the family day. Uh, so some special days that we observe do provide rest. Uh, other special days might provide opportunity to remember. You know, so when we have Christmas and Easter, you know, those are holidays that we acknowledge and we remember what those holidays are about. Uh, a very famous individual passed away this week, Billy Graham, passed away this week, uh, you know, uh, had a great life and, and impact and legacy for the kingdom of God. Um, his, the day that he passed away will be one of those days that will be remembered, you know, next year and the year after that. It'll be a day that's marked on the church calendar that Billy Graham passed away, and it'll be a day to, to reflect on him and the impact that he had, the, the, the many, many thousands of people that were led to Christ through his ministry, uh, how he motivated the church to live on mission with Jesus, and you know, these will be things that we remember on that day when Billy Graham passed away. So some special days are for rest, some we remember, some are just simply to celebrate. So think of birthdays and birthday parties, and if you've ever been to a little kid's birthday party, the kids just want to party, they want to celebrate, they want to get to the cake and fill themselves full of sugar and just have a really good time. And sometimes that's what special days are about. So this morning we're going to be looking in, uh, we're going back into the book of Deuteronomy, we've been there for the past uh, number of weeks, and, um, and looking at some special days that were introduced to the Israelites uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you want, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and put one finger there, and then also Deuteronomy chapter 16. Uh, so we're in a portion in the middle of Deuteronomy that kind of unpacks the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments show up in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the commandment that talks about the Sabbath day, this special day that's to be set apart. And then in chapter 16, it's kind of an expansion of these commandments as we look at some of the festivals and these special days, these special times of year that the Israelites were to observe. So the Sabbath and all these festivals. Um, what can we learn from these special days in Deuteronomy? And as we just talked about some of the special days in our lives, you know, the opportunity for rest, the invitation to remember, uh, the opportunity to rejoice, that's kind of what these special days in Deuteronomy are all about. Rest, remembrance, and rejoicing. So before we uh, read the scripture this morning, let's just pause and pray. And let's invite Jesus to speak to us as we look to his word. So Jesus, we just uh, come before you this morning. We've already been before you singing and worshiping. But uh, as we open your word this morning, uh, we invite you to speak. And uh, we believe that you are always speaking, and uh, it's up to us to open our ears and, and listen and hear from you. And so as we open our Bibles this morning, as we look to your word, uh, as we're doing that, we want to open our ears and, and say, speak. Uh, we'll do our best to listen to what you have to say, and uh, we just trust that you'll be speaking to us. And so Holy Spirit, take uh, the truth, the, the, the word that you want us to hear this morning, and penetrate it into our hearts and souls. Maybe we would open up our heart to receive from you something fresh and something new. 
And so we invite you to speak to us from your word as, uh, as Moses preached these words to the Israelites. Uh, we just invite you to speak to us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's look at these special days of Deuteronomy. And uh, the first one in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Sabbath day. And it's outlined in verses 12 to 15. So I'm reading from the New International Version, if you want to follow along with me. And just to get some context, this is Moses basically preaching to the Israelites as they're preparing to cross the Jordan River and enter this new land. So the whole book of Deuteronomy is basically him preaching, preparing them for what life is to look like and how they are to live and what it means to be the people of God. And so these Ten Commandments are kind of dealing with the summary statements of uh, his instruction to them. So here's what he says. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So as we look at this Sabbath day, just a couple of things um, to take note of. The idea of taking a Sabbath is to stop, to cease, uh, to rest. Uh, it's a pause in the regular rhythms of life. So six days you shall work, but on the seventh it shall be a Sabbath. It's a stop day. Stop working. Stop doing your normal, regular, daily activities and, and dedicate this day to the Lord. So it's a day to stop, it's a day to cease, it's a day to rest, and specifically to rest from work. And rest um, would be a bit of an exercise in trust. Um, the Israelites were, uh, they worked the land, you know, that's kind of what they did. And so six days you would do the work, and the seventh day you were to rest. But my guess is after six days, the work really isn't done. There's more work to do, and so to pause, to stop, to rest would be an exercise in trust, trusting God. Trusting that God is in control and that ultimately God will provide, that even when I stop working, He will still provide our daily bread and our daily needs. Resting here on the Sabbath uh, kind of flies in the face of what our culture might value as productivity. You know, being able to get lots done, getting many things done, lots of accomplishments, and checking off all the, the boxes on our list. And this is the complete opposite. It's a day off. It's a day of rest. Not only is it a day of rest, but Moses encourages uh, the people uh, to rest together. So it's not an individual day, but it's a communal day of rest. You know, sons and daughters, male and female servants, even the animals are to rest. The foreigners in the town, uh, the servants... Everybody gets the day off. All work stops. Now, in addition to it being a day of rest, it's also a day of remembrance. Verse 15, he says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So it's a day off from our work to remember God's work on our behalf. And so the Israelites, they are to remember back to the days in Egypt, how God rescued them how he accomplished his work of deliverance, 
He, he saved them from slavery in Egypt and, and brought them out to establish a new people in a new land. So it's an opportunity to remember who God is and what he's done for his people. And to remember who we were when we were enslaved in Egypt and he delivered us. He accomplished his work on our behalf. So the Sabbath day is a day of rest and a day of remembrance. And some of us might already be thinking, you know, what does this mean for us? Are we supposed to practice a Sabbath day, a day off from work? You know, what do we do with this? So just kind of hold that question. We're going to come back to it. Uh, but first we're going to look at these other special days uh, that were talked about in Deuteronomy 16. So if you turn to chapter 16, let's look at these three festivals uh, that Moses outlines for us. So the first festival that we see is the Passover, or the festival of unleavened bread. And uh, we'll just read uh, about each one of these, sort of one section at a time. So verses 1 to 8 talk about the, the Passover, or the festival of unleavened bread. And here's what he says. Observe the month of Aviv, and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Aviv he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not, eat, do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you, except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning return to your tents. For six days eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God, and do no work. So there's a lot we can talk about about the Passover, or the festival of unleavened bread, but just a couple things I want to highlight. Uh, one is, again, it was a stoppage. It was a stop in the ordinary rhythms and routines of life. There was a, these are special days, there were uh, to be no work to be done, there were special days to be devoted to God. But uh, in addition to it being sort of a stop day or a rest day, it was mostly about remembering. Remembering who God is and what he had done for his people. So there's uh, a couple symbols in this uh, festival that take place that remind us of God's story and who God is and what he's done. The first is the, the sacrifice of an animal. So Moses says to take a, um, an animal from your flock or your herd and sacrifice it as the Passover to the Lord your God. Now, this was to be symbolic uh, to remind the Israelites of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed when they lived in Egypt. So if you recall, there was ten plagues. Uh, Moses was trying to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And uh, he was you know, uh, confronting Pharaoh and having this back and forth thing. And God uh, sent ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And the final one was a plague of death. And what God instructed the Israelites to do was take... Uh, a sheep or an animal, and to sacrifice it and spread the blood of the animal on the doorposts of their home. So that when the final plague happened, the angel of death came through Egypt, any, any uh, house that had the, the blood on the doorposts, the angel of death would pass over that house. That house would be saved. And then ultimately those people would be delivered out of Egypt 
uh, and you know, this establishing of a new community together. So the, the Passover sacrifice here at the Passover festival was to remind the Israelites of that past story of deliverance, how God saved them from death, how God delivered them from uh, slavery in Egypt and bondage in Egypt. And as believers in Christ, we can actually look back on the Passover and see the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, the Passover lamb. Jesus' blood was shed on the cross. And for those of us who put our faith in him, his blood covers us. And the angel of death will pass over us. God spared us from death and the consequences of sin. He's rescued us from uh, slavery to sin, which results in death. And so we can look at Jesus as our ultimate Passover lamb. But for the Israelites here, they were to remember the Passover from Egypt. And then the second symbol in this festival is the bread of affliction, uh, unleavened bread. They were to eat unleavened bread as a reminder that they left Egypt in haste. They left in the middle of the night. The bread didn't have time to rise, so they took this bread with them. It was unleavened. And uh, it was to be a reminder of the story of God's deliverance. It was also to be a reminder of the affliction that they experienced in Egypt. Life in Egypt was hard. It was hard labor. They were slaves in Egypt. And when they ate this bread of affliction, this unleavened bread, they were to be reminded of their past life before God delivered them. And similarly, we as believers in Christ, uh, we can be reminded of our past life before Christ, before he rescued us from bondage to sin and brought us into newness of life. So the Passover sacrifice, the bread of affliction, these serve as reminders to help the people remember who God is and what he had done on their behalf. The next festival, if we keep reading on, is in verse 9, the festival of weeks. So let me just read it. He says, Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. So we have another special day, or special days, this festival of weeks, which is connected to um, the Jewish sort of harvest calendar. Um, so it's kind of, it's really closely connected to harvest and things associated with farming and agriculture. But the, the essence of this festival is it was another uh, opportunity to remember, remember who God is. They were to give an offering uh, out of the abundance of what God had provided for them. So it was to remember that God is their provider and that they were to give joyfully back to him, uh, to rejoice in the abundance of God. And so it served as a reminder of God's provision. But it was also a great opportunity to rejoice. The festival, festival of weeks was a time of celebration. Verse 10 says, then celebrate the festival of weeks. Verse 11, and rejoice before the Lord your God. Um, and it's also, it's, uh, it's a big festival, it's a big party basically. Um, look at all the people who are invited. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, um, probably including the people named Levi, but the, the Levites in your towns, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows living among you. Basically everybody in the community is to be a part of this celebration. And because you look at the list of people there, 
There's no social status to be acknowledged. There's no power over anyone else. Everybody's on equal terms, on an equal playing field. We all come together. We would all come together as the community, uh, as citizens of God in this new community that he's forming, and they're celebrating, they're rejoicing in the abundance of God. The last festival, the festival of tabernacles, uh, shows up in verse 13, so let's read on. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. Sounds very similar to the festival of weeks. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. <coughs> the festival of tabernacles was another opportunity to rejoice, to celebrate, you know, to come together as the whole community, to not look down on anyone, but to look at everybody as equals, to, to participate together in this great gathering where we celebrate the goodness of God, the abundance of God, His provision, His blessing, and, and to rejoice. It's really at the heart of it. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles. Verse 14, be joyful at your festival. Uh, verse 15 says, your joy will be complete. It's a great time of rejoicing. And then the final instruction, just kind of a recap, verse 16 to 17. Three times a year, all your men and their households, is probably assumed there, must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And that summary statement is basically just an invitation to say, observe these special days. Show up. Men, bring your families. Uh, bring a gift. Bring an offering. Rejoice together. Basically, give yourself fully to these special days. Make it a priority. Put it in your calendar. Plan on being there. So as we look at these special days, we are not the Israelites standing on the banks of the Jordan River looking into this new land. You know, what does this mean for us? What does this look like for us? So let's just kind of recap. These special days can help us to rest in God. They can help us remember who God is and what he's done for us. They can help us rejoice in the abundant gifts of God. Things like his provision, his gifts, his blessings. So what might these special days look like for us today? A big question is, you know, are we to practice the Sabbath today? Are we to observe these festivals? Um, you know, does that make sense? So let me just share a bit of my journey. I grew up in a, a, a Christian home. So like 30, 35 years ago as a young, uh, young child, I remember Sundays basically being like a Sabbath day. It was a day off. And there was not a lot open on a Sunday. I remember all the debates and all the, the commotion, you know, when stores wanted to be open on Sundays and all of that, and all the debate that went with that. That was a very different day than it is today. That day was a very different day than what the Israelites would have experienced when they, you know, participated in their Sabbath day. So what does the Sabbath mean for us today? What does it look like? Even just the potential to have a communal day off. We live in a, a world where work is 24-7. Things are open every day of the week. Things are open all hours of every day. 
Uh, we have devices that we have in our home that give us access to work whenever we want, however long we want. Uh, you know, we're basically on call, so to speak. So even to call people together to have a day off, you know, what does that look like? So let's just consider how the Sabbath day from Deuteronomy has maybe shifted a little over the years. Even when Jesus showed up, what was Jesus' approach to the Sabbath? Uh, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath regularly. He healed people on the Sabbath. He cast out demons on the Sabbath. One day, him and his disciples were actually walking along through a field, and they were hungry, so they decided to eat. And what they needed to do was pick off the, the kernels of wheat uh, out of the field and eat these kernels. And the Pharisees saw what they were doing, and they accused Jesus and the disciples of working on the Sabbath, of breaking the Sabbath law. And Jesus says, well, we were hungry, and we needed something to eat. And then he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he went on to say that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus maybe had a little different perspective of what Sabbath meant or what it, what it looked like. How do we practice the Sabbath? The early church, in the book of Acts, very quickly after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, the church began to gather on the first day of the week, which was a shift. The Jews practiced their Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. Six days you work, the seventh day is off. The early church began to meet on the first day of the week because Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day. So it was Resurrection Day, Resurrection Sunday, the Lord's Day. And so a shift began to take place of when we would meet for worship and how we would gather together. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The Sabbath, or these special days, these festivals, were ultimately to lead us to a deeper experience with Jesus. Jesus came as the fulfillment of all the law. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the Sabbath and these special days, these festivals. We could even point out, as I did, the, the sacrifice of Passover is ultimately pointing us to Jesus. So what does it look like for us to practice the Sabbath or these special days today? What might it look like to intentionally engage in rest and remembrance and rejoicing? I mentioned that we went to Winnipeg this past week, and I just want to go back there in my mind for a moment. Uh, the Forks is one of my favorite places to go in Winnipeg, and I actually pointed out as we were there, I pointed out a coffee shop to, to my girls. Uh, that's where I used to go on my day off. And I'd get a coffee and I'd go sit at one of the tables and I'd pull out my Bible and my journal and I would just spend a morning with God at the forks, looking out the window, watching people skating on the skating rink. They didn't have crook curl back then, so I couldn't watch that. But uh, you know, I would just enjoy time with God. My day off from work, which at that point was a Monday. I was a youth pastor at a church in Winnipeg there, so I took Mondays off and I would go get coffee at the forks. I would sit and have time with God. And it was Sabbath. It was rest. It was a break from the ordinary rhythms of life. It was a time where I read in God's Word and I was reminded of who God is and what He was doing in my life at that time. It was a time where I opened my ears to hear from Him and let Him speak. It was a time to rejoice in little gifts of having coffee at the forks and enjoying the sunshine on a minus 35 degree weather day outside and I was inside drinking my warm cup of coffee and I could rejoice in these little gifts. But for me, that was Sabbath. That was, those were special days. 
What does it look like for us to engage in these habits today? So what I want to do is just lead us through a series of questions to help you reflect and to invite Jesus to speak to you. What could it look like to experience Sabbath or to experience these special days today? And uh, when I prayed earlier, I prayed believing that Jesus is always speaking. He speaks to us through his word, we've looked at his word, but he speaks to us through the presence of the Spirit, of the Spirit's guiding in our lives. And so I'm just going to ask a few questions and, and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you uh, about how, what this might look like. So if your posture of prayer, if you like to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If you want to have a pen handy, if you feel like, you know what, Jesus is telling me something, I want to write this down, uh, feel free to do that. If you want to you know, put your head on your knees or whatever you need to do, or if you just want to sit there, that's fine too. Uh, but let me just ask these questions on our behalf. I'll kind of give you words to ask Jesus as we look at how, how does this apply to our lives today. So we'll, we'll start with this idea of rest. If the Sabbath is a stop in work and regular life, what does it mean to rest in God? So here's a question. Jesus, what do I need to stop in order to fully rest in you? Jesus, what do I need to stop in order to fully rest in you? What rhythms could I establish in my life to help me fully rest? And as you're asking that question of Jesus, maybe think about your, your, just your regular week, your regular month, your work life. Think about the things that make you busy. Think about the things that may distract you. What do I need to stop in order to fully rest in you, Jesus? And as you're kind of thinking through that, the calendar of your life, you know, is it setting aside a specific day to say, you know, on this day, things are going to stop so I can rest in Jesus? Or is it a block in a day? Or is it a daily routine of stopping at certain times? Maybe it's uh, participating in Thirsty Thursdays for the next five weeks as an opportunity to rest in Jesus. So Jesus, what do I need to stop in order to fully rest in you? Then we'll move on to this idea of remembering. Remembering who God is and what he's done for us. Jesus, what narratives are forming my thinking these days? Or maybe another way of saying that. Jesus, who or what is speaking into my life about what I believe about you, what I believe about myself, what I believe is important, what I value, Jesus, who or what is forming my thinking these days? And Jesus, what do I need to stop or start in order to hear your voice more clearly and grow in my understanding of you more deeply? Jesus, what do I need to stop or start in order to hear your voice more clearly and grow in my understanding of you more deeply? Maybe there's influences that you need to put a stop to. You know, maybe there's media or social media or certain people that you need to stop listening to or whatever voices are forming your thinking. Or maybe there's things you need to start. Maybe you need to start making um, Bible reading more of a priority. Maybe it's a, you know, participating in a Sunday morning worship experience. Maybe it's being part of a life group 
for a study group or a personal study. Um, Jesus, what do I need to stop or start in order to hear your voice more clearly and grow in my understanding of you more deeply? And then lastly, this whole idea of rejoicing in the abundance of God. Jesus, what would it look like for my joy to be complete in you? My hunch is there's many of us in this room who would say that we're lacking in joy. Jesus, what would it look like for my joy to be complete in you? Jesus, how could I practice rejoicing in you? What would that look like? Jesus, what could my offering of joy look like? Would it be related to money or time? How do you use your energy, your skills, your service? And then, Jesus, how could I share my joy in you with others? How could I make rejoicing a community experience? So Jesus, what do I need to stop in order to rest fully in you? What do I need to stop or start in order to hear your voice more clearly and grow in my understanding of you more deeply? And Jesus, what would it look for my joy to what would it look like for my joy to be complete in you? So as you're continuing to talk to Jesus and inviting him to talk to you, I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up and prepare to lead us. Let me just pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, you do speak. We thank you for the instruction you gave your people to set aside certain days, to be special days, to be holy days. Days where they can rest in you and remember you and rejoice in you. I pray for us as a people that you would lead us into what that looks like in this day and age, in this time and place, in the lives that we live, lead us into your rest. Lead us in deeper into your story and form us by your story. Lead us into your joy to experience the fullness of life that you desire to give to every believer. You came to give us life and give it to the soul. So many of us fall short of that. Jesus, would you lead us into the fullness of life? Help, help us to really be able to rejoice in you. Even when life is difficult, knowing that all, the, all of our answers or all of our questions may not be answered, we can still say that it is well with our soul and there's a deep joy that resides there. So lead us into what that might look like. We invite you to continue to speak to us in these moments and in the days to come. Speak to us on these matters. Help us to establish rhythms in our life that would lead us into a deeper, fuller experience with you. And we pray this in your name.